You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Hello and welcome to the latest news podcast for June, where we cover all the latest legislative and regulatory developments that advisors need to be aware of. Now, I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and joining me today are Julie Fox and Kim Guest. G'day, guys. Hey, Hi, Craig. Hey. Now, today we've got a range of topics. Uh, we're going to be looking at tax returns and what we need to do in the tax return to claim deductions for contributions over age 67. So that's that's a bit interesting. Um, we've got a bill that's been introduced regarding social security changes announced in the recent federal budget. So that's super interesting. Uh, also proposed changes to the first home super saver scheme. And last, but in no way least is how to order new first tick cards from the 1st of July 2023 or for the 2023-24 version. So let's get started with Julie and how the work test will be declared for clients lodging tax returns and claiming tax deductions. So Julie, we're all aware that from the 1st of July 2022, a client who contributes to super on or after age 67 must meet the work test, i.e. 40 hours within 30 consecutive days, everyone knows that kind of rule, or the work test exemption to claim a tax deduction for their personal super contributions. However, what we weren't quite sure of was what kind of evidence or declaration that a client may need to provide if they want to claim a tax deduction. So initially, we suspected the the ATO may add a checkbox in the individual tax return as a a form of declaration. Uh, And that tax return for the 2022-23 has just been released. So Julie, can you tell us what's been included in that individual tax return for the work test? And what does this mean for clients? Sure, Craig. Um, Surprisingly, there was no tick box or similar declaration added to the individual's tax return. The only change the ATO made was adding some information regarding the work test to the instruction section of the tax return. So the fact that the ATO doesn't explicitly require a taxpayer to declare meeting the work test means that it's based on self-assessment, like a lot of your tax return is. So the ATIO will rely on the taxpayers to understand and comply with the rules on their own. So basically, they expect people will not claim a tax deduction on their personal contributions when they're not eligible to do so. Okay, so you mentioned that the ATO added some information regarding the work test to the instruction section. Now, however, that wording is a bit misleading, isn't it? It's a bit confusing for clients. Yeah, I think so. Um, Rather than clearly stating that the work test only applies to member contributions made on or after the point that they have reached age 67 when they want to um, claim a tax deduction, Mm -hmm. the wording implies that the work test has to be met for all contributions made during the financial year in which the member turns 67, including contributions made while the client was, say, age 66, which would be incorrect. Yeah, so that's a real trap there for clients, you know, turning 67 and, and making contributions and claiming a tax deduction in that year. 
because the way those instructions read is let's say I was made my contribution five days before turning 67, it kind of implies that I have to still satisfy the work test, which is not correct. You only need to worry about the work test for a contribution that you made on or after turning age 67. Now, um, okay, so yeah, that really can be confusing. Now, we've cleaned that up. What does this all mean for advisors then? And, and how do clients need to go about proving that they've met the work test to claim a tax deduction uh, for their contribution? That's a really good question. Um, as mentioned, clients don't need to tick a box in their tax return to say they've met the work test. Um, and as we know in the past, you used to actually declare to the super fund. However, mm. under these new rules, the ATO does have visibility of the types of income declared in the tax return, which may be used to help determine whether they whether you've met the work test. Uh, for example, for an individual who worked as an employee, the ATO may look at their employment income or information relating to salary, wages and allowances. And for, say, a self-employed sole trader, they may look at their personal services income or information included in the business and professional items schedule for individuals on the tax return. So, yeah, that's really important, is it? I mean, the ATO have been telling us that they're going to data match here. So um, unlike previously, which when you just declared to the trustee that you satisfied the work test, now the ATO is going to be using other sections of the tax return to go in and look to see okay, so Julie, you've claimed a tax deduction. Are we seeing any employment income here? Are we seeing any self-employment? Are we seeing, you know, any income coming out of that you might declare in the in the business or professional item schedule? If we're not seeing any or if the ATO is not seeing any of that, then we're likely to get a question mark around uh, our ability to claim that deduction, that deduction. So really, really important that we understand that. So, okay. Thanks, Julie. Now, lastly, if an advisor wants to know more about these work test issues, where could they go to find more information? Well, uh, we have a, do have a first tech article that's called Work Test Changes, New Rules, Traps and Uncertainties. And I'd strongly recommend people who are interested to more to know more to have a read of that one. Okay. Thanks, Julie. We'll, we'll come back to you later on. Now, Kim. Hi, Craig. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Now, we've got some new legislation, which is before the Senate, which is going to implement some of the Social Security changes which were announced in the federal budget back in May. Now, I think the first issue that we're going to look at relates to expanding qualification for parent parenting payments single to single parents whose youngest child has uh, is under age 14. So do you want to give us a bit more information about this? Yes, this is a really interesting one. Um, under current rules, uh, single parents are only eligible to continue getting parenting payment until their youngest child turns eight. Um, and once their child turns eight, they're moved to another sort of social security payment, such as job seeker payment. Um, and job seeker payment is a lower rate of payment. So the maximum is $92.10 a fortnight lower than parenting payment. So wow. that obviously, you know, disadvantaged um, those clients. So under this change uh, from 20 September this year, um, people will actually be able to stay, single parents will be able to stay on parenting payment until their youngest child turns 14. So that's another six years um, that they're able to stay on that higher rate of payment. Um, so that's a really interesting change. And also, if they've been already transferred to another payment like job seeker payment because their child turned eight, 
um, then once this new legislation gets in, they'll be automatically transferred to parenting payment from the 20th September if they meet those qualification rules. Wow, so they've got a child between 8 and 14, all of a sudden an extra, what is it, $92.10 a fortnight? Yeah, that's right, $92.10. Excellent, excellent. Okay, fantastic. Now, what other Social Security budget announcements are included in the bill? Yeah, so there, there was um, the proposal to increase working age and student payments. Um, so this was announced in the budget, $40 a fortnight, an additional $40 a fortnight for payments such as job seeker payment, youth allowance, parenting payment partnered and Austeady. Uh, so if legislated, all these um, payments will go up by $40 from the 20th September this year. Excellent. So a bit more there. And there was also some changes for working age payments for our older workers, wasn't there? Yeah, that's right. So under current rules, if you're um, age 60 and you've been on job seeker payment for nine months, you actually get a higher rate of payment. And what they're proposing to change is to lower that age to 55. So from 20th September this year, if you're age 55 and you've been on job seeker for nine months or more, you're going to get a higher rate of payment. And also importantly, you're eligible for things such as the pensioner concession card, pharmaceutical allowance and telephone allowance. Okay, so yeah, that pensioner concession card, that really important benefit. Now, any other measures announced in the bill? Yeah, just one more measure, and that is an increase to rent assistance. So um, from the 20th of September, they're going to increase the maximum rate of rent assistance by 15%, um, and that's aimed at helping people with the large increases in rents that we've seen across the country lately. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I go down to my local dog park with my dog, and that's the, the topic du jour at the moment in, uh, mm. in the inner western Sydney is the huge rent rises coming through, so that's great news for them. Okay, so thanks, Kim. We might now move back to Julie and some proposed changes to the First Home Super Scheme. So, Julie, this First Home Super Scheme has been around for a while now and allows clients to access up to $50,000 of voluntary super contributions and their associated earnings to help them fund their first home. But I understand there are some practical problems with this scheme, with this scheme that the government's now looking to fix. Yeah, that's right, Craig. Um, the government stated that they wanted to make the scheme more flexible as currently the rules can result in people being unable to access their money when they need to. Okay, well, that obviously sounds positive. Can you or do you want to briefly explain some of the proposed changes? Because they're, they're quite complex and technical, aren't they? Yeah, they're a bit technical, but um, they, these were all announced back in May 21 and uh, they've just entered this bill now. So the first change is around determinations. Uh, so you might recall that that's when the ATO tells you how much you're able to withdraw under the scheme and that's the first step in the process. So currently you have to first uh, request it request a determination from the ATO before entering into a contract to acquire property. Now, this caused problems as people would sign a contract and then apply for a determination to access their super money, which was the wrong way around and unfortunately made them ineligible to uh, get that determination. Oh, yeah. So all those extra contributions they've been putting in and then they get told, sorry, you can't have it because you got your your sequence of doing things wrong. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, which that's just not practical, is it? I mean, you're probably not going to know exactly when the right property is going to come up and there is usually some urgency when the right opportunity arises. So I imagine quite a few people may have been caught out by this rule. 
Yeah, so the government's proposed to change that rule so that you can apply for a determination uh, when this bill passes up to the point where the contract is completed and ownership of the real property transfers to the purchaser. So that is a little further along in the process than simply... Well, that will be a welcome change to the scheme to make it simpler for clients. Will it allow the application for determination shortly after signing a contract but before the process of ownership is complete? Well, it seems that that's what the impact of the change will be. That wasn't explicitly stated in the EM, but it does seem to be the impact of the changes that they've made in the legislation. But we would like to wait uh, until the bill has passed and we get a little more clarification on that point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The legislation hasn't passed yet. So we still have to wait and see. Now, I think there are a number of proposed measures that I mentioned before, quite technical ones, to make the scheme more flexible in other ways, which we don't really have time to go through today. But was there some ch- uh, changes to the timeframes with all of this? Yeah, it's a little bit administrative, but uh, some important timeframes, um, there's proposed changes. So, uh, for example, instead of having to apply for a release authority within 14 days of signing a contract, you'll have 90 days under the proposed changes. And another change is that if you have an amount released, you'll have 90 days from entering into the contract rather than 28 days to notify the ATO that you've purchased your new home. Okay, so great. So we've got increased flexibility around the timing of, you know, our getting the money out of super and and make sure we don't get that that sequence of things mucked up. So fixing that up and we've got a bit more time in order to actually go and do certain things. Now, um, this bill, when's it likely to start? So the bill's due to start 12 months after receiving assent, um, unless the government proclaimed an earlier start date, but that's unlikely as, as they want to allow the ATO and providers plenty of time to, to implement the operational um, changes that they need to. Some provisions will be backdated to the 1st of July 2018. Um, others, there's some traditional transitional rules, uh, but we'll provide more detail of all of those things once the legislation passes. Okay, great. So some quite sensible changes to look forward to for the First Home Super Safe Scheme. Now, um, moving on to our First Tech Guide. So much loved First Tech Guide. So we've got the whole range of them there that we're busy updating for the new financial year, i.e. the 23-24 year. So uh, those will all be available in soft copy version from the 1st of July. So if you want a, a copy hot off the uh, the internet press as it, as it is, uh, they will be available on our website on the 1st of July. Now, we also have a slight change to the ordering system for our paper-based versions of the guide. So, Julie, do you want to give us a bit more detail about this? Sure, sure. Um, Now, it's important to remember we only actually print in hard copy two of our guides, uh, the First Tech Pocket Guide and the Super and Retirement Income Streams Guide. Now, we have a new process that is hopefully um, far simpler um, to do that. We we have a direct link with the printer for advisors or their staff uh, to enter in the orders. So you'll be able to enter your order details on this website as well as track any orders or contact the printer directly with any issues that may arise uh, with deliveries and so forth. 
So fantastic, a much more simple process. Now, this link was emailed directly out to advisors on what date? The 15th of June. Okay, and you can also find it in the Advisor News Hub. So if you want to go and order those guides online, uh, grab hold of that link and, and set up your online. It's just like an online shop. Go and put your order in and please note that those uh, those copies will be delivered from early August onwards. Uh, while the online versions will be updated as at the 1st of July, it does take us a little time to print those off and get them out to advisors. So please be patient. Now, I think that sums it all up for the June version of latest news. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note that these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First State Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.